Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Happy Tuesday and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk radio show. My guest for this morning is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Food for the Soul. Today, we will be focusing on how our uniqueness is actually our superpower. Amy and I will be having a conversation about compelling true stories of women who found the best versions of themselves by honoring and embracing what makes them unique. From Chicken Soup's latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Be You, 101 Stories of Affirmation, Determination, and Female Empowerment. Good morning, Amy. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. I'm so excited about this new book. I'm looking at it right now, and it just it looks like spring with these beautiful colors and it's just, it's very energizing, right? It, this, I think it this is. book cover captures the essence of spring and renewal and feeling excited about what's ahead. The woman on the front cover just looks so happy about everything. <laughs> it is. It's like a definite uh, seasonal timing thing and you're perfectly correct. It's April, right? So that's what we need. And so this is very, very interesting here about chicken soup. For the Soul, D.U., the book is very inspiring. It's a terrific read. Although the book is for women, I believe men can certainly benefit from it as well. And so congratulations on its release, which is today. I wish you all tons of success. Well, thank you. We're, uh, we're excited. Target um, actually put it on sale two days early because uh-huh. they were very excited about it. And it's being carried by Walmart and you know, we did we did really well. Like a lot of the big retailers have taken it, and uh, you know have really embraced mm-hmm. the concept. This is a this is really something new for us. We've <laughs> never done a book on this topic before. It's it's basically uh-huh. saying you need to be you. And I mm-hmm. when I came up with this idea a couple of years ago, I just thought women are always told to be somebody else instead of just mm-hmm. being the best version of themselves. And I just thought, let's just tell women, be you, because being you is enough. And what makes you unique is your own you know, personal superpower. Mm-hmm. And so the book is just so empowering for women. And you're right, for men also, because really these truths hold for anybody, you know, mm-hmm. the the recommendation that you just go with what what your strengths are and you don't try to be somebody else and you embrace what makes you different and do the best that you can within your unique personality. Mm-hmm. So it is it is very empowering because we're basically saying to people, you are enough. You don't have to be somebody else. Just be more of you. Right. So true. What's interesting also I realize that your book is really relevant in today's world right now. I mean, whether it's by design or just happened to fall right in place. (laughs) It's true. And here's the funny thing about that. We actually put this book together more than a year ago. Mm -hmm. And it was at the printer in February 2020, Mm -hmm. right at the beginning of the pandemic, And so it was supposed to go on sale in May of 2020, so 11 months ago. Mm -hmm. And it was literally at the printer, and we were about to print tens of thousands of copies. And then I said, no, we're not putting out this book in May. It looks like all the bookstores are going to be closed. It looks like people aren't going to be shopping at our big retailers like Walmart and Target. And if they are shopping, they're going to be buying, you know, paper towels and pasta (laughs) <laughs> and we just, I just like panicked and said, we're not printing it because I was so worried that we'd make this fabulous book and then nobody would ever see it and it would just disappear. And I'm really glad that I pulled it because we had a book that came out for Mother's Day mm-hmm. in 2020 and it hardly sold at all because people weren't in the stores and it would have been such a shame to take wow. this amazing book and 
just throw it out there and have it be wasted. Because, you know, if it didn't sell, it's not like the retailers right. would take it a year later and give it another shot. And so we held it back. And then when we were sending it to the printer again uh, this year, I guess the beginning of this year, I thought, let me just go through this book and make sure it's still relevant because we did, mm-hmm. you know, delay it by 11 months. And I went through and I read my introduction and, you know, looked through the stories and I thought, wow, nothing has really changed. This book is still <laughs> exactly relevant just as it was a year ago because, you know, a lot of this is in reaction to the stories you hear about various, you know, prominent men sexually yeah. harassing women or women being disadvantaged. And I guess with mm-hmm. the pandemic and all the poor women who were really more responsible for keeping the home going during the pandemic right. and doing the homeschooling and all of that, um, nothing really improved for women. And then mm-hmm. you have, you know, new politicians every day in mm-hmm. disgrace over their treatment of women. <laughs> so it's just as relevant today as it would have been a year ago and and people are saying to me wow this is so relevant like you you're just right on target with what's going on today and i'm thinking to myself well actually the book was delayed a year coming out so i guess it just shows things don't change that quickly right this book will probably be viewed as completely relevant a year from now as well yeah yeah and but to me the pinnacle moment is now because had it been out last year there's a lot of uh uh surrounding noises that may have buried it in in some ways. But now everything is clear. The election is over. And the main topic, ironically, right now, this moment, we are talking about the uniqueness of women, uh, the, this, the, the differentiation in pay, going back to work now, right? And women having uh, suffered the most during the pandemic, ironically, because uh, they are the ones that had to stay home and not working oh you know in the context of working in the office and so forth and then of course not to mention the ever so uh thing that about like you were talking about the the harassment and so forth i know it's true and i actually think this timing is good because a lot of the advice in this book Mm -hmm. is harder to use if you're still stuck at home But now people are going to be reading this book while they're getting vaccinated and while they're looking ahead and saying, oh, I am going to be able to go out. I am going to be able to go work in an office. My kids will be able to go out. I'll be able to go and visit people, travel like we're, you know, we're coming back to normalcy in the next few months, I hope, if everybody gets their vaccines. And so. You know, because you have stories in here about, like, stepping outside your comfort zone. And, and it's harder right. to do that if you're not leaving your house. So, right. <laughs> so I think that the timing is actually quite perfect. So true. So true. Now, we talked a little bit about how striking the book cover is. One of the other things that I really enjoyed about the book is also the diverse pictures of women featured as chapter dividers. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, we're always embracing diversity in the pages of our books, and we have, you know, writers who represent, you know, every race, every nationality, um, every religion, sexual orientation, um, ethnicity, whatever. I mean, we have very a very diverse group of writers, and obviously, you don't know that for sure when you're reading the stories because right. you know you don't see a picture of the individual contributor. But I was very, I was very much trying to have diversity, and so we, with a woman on the front cover, I think is Latina, and then in the mm-hmm. pages of the book where we have different women at the beginnings of the chapters, we have a black woman and an Asian woman and a white woman, and you know we have all different looks and all different ages of women. Um, now there's a common element. I don't know if you noticed what the common element is. But it kind of goes with the whole superpower thing we talk about on the cover. Mm-hmm. So you might not know this because you're a guy, but there's this <laughs> thing called the power pose. It's like the supergirl or superwoman pose where you have yeah. your hands on your mm-hmm. hips, you know, and your arms are out, yeah, yeah, like in that yeah. triangular shape. Right. Well, if you look, you're going to see that every single woman – 
mm-hmm. on the front cover, the back cover, and inside the pages of the book, every woman is in the power pose. So that was just a little fun thing we did because we like to have, mm-hmm. you know, little like inside scoop things. Every mm-hmm. picture you see, the woman is in that power pose. Uh, so that was fun. And also another thing we did was, you know how we put quotes at the beginnings of our stories? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. 100% of the quotes in this book are from women. So we did that as well. And these are just little things that you might, you know, subconsciously notice, but now mm-hmm. I'm telling mm-hmm. you that we did that. Fantastic. I mean, I we like the poses. We just thought it made sense not to have quotes from guys, you know, when it's all about <laughs> women's empowerment. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. That's terrific. Maybe you all need to do one for men. That's what it is. Be you. <laughs> Be the guy you I are. Just, I mean, I agree men should have a book, but I don't know that it would sell as well. Uh-huh, because, uh-huh. you know, men don't tend to be as big readers as women. And we have a lot mm-hmm. of men who buy our books, but I think, you know, more of our consumers right. are women. I agree. I understand. Totally, totally. I mean, I, I totally understand that. What are the topics covered in this wonderful book? So it's very diverse, the topics, because we really wanted to cover everything having to do with being yourself, making sure you engage in self-care, making sure you're you're thinking positively about yourself, Mm -hmm. not all that negative thought. And so the first chapter is really cool. It's called Happy Being Me. And it, a lot of the stories in this chapter are about women going off and doing something by themselves and being comfortable in their own skins. Mm-hmm. And then the second chapter is called Breaking New Ground. And it's women, you know, getting into professions that were considered to be men's professions or, you know, speaking up um, for their rights to do what they want to do as women. And then the third chapter is called self-care, and me time, because Mm -hmm. women are not as good at this as men. Like a man might come home from work and he just sits down and has can maybe watch the news or something, but he builds into his day that downtime and a woman comes home from work and starts cleaning the house and doing stuff with the kids and making the dinner and (laughs) she's a whirlwind of activity and she never stops. And so we have a whole chapter about self-care and me time because women need that constant reminder that you need to take that time for yourself. You will be better for yourself and for everyone else if you remember to engage in that self-care. And then our fourth chapter is called Stand Up, Speak Up because it takes courage to do this, but I Mm -hmm. love giving people these role models, women who saw something that was wrong, took what might have been an unpopular stance and stood up for women's rights and often against, you know, a big group of men. And it's kind of daunting to do that. And then our fifth chapter is called follow your dreams. And it's about, you know, whatever your passion is about, whatever your dream is, even if you're doing something that you were told, Oh, you can't do that. Follow your dreams anyway. So we have some great role models there who did that. And then our sixth sixth chapter, hard to say sixth, <laughs> is called <laughs> We Help Each Other. And, and it's about women helping each other because a lot of times mm-hmm. women think that women aren't nice to each other. Mm-hmm. But this is all about women hel- helping other women to achieve their goals, helping the women coming up behind them, paying it forward for the help they've received. And then our seventh chapter is called sharing my truth. And these are some really personal revealing Mm -hmm. stories about women saying, look, this is what I did. This is how I found my own truth. And here's how I did it. And I want to share this with you. And then chapter eight is called step outside your comfort zone. And I, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm a big proponent of stepping outside your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I talk about it all the time. And so These are women talking about something they were afraid to do, whether it was something little or something big, and they made themselves do it, and how much better they feel after they've done that scary thing, how much more confident they are, um, proud of themselves, feeling more capable. They can go do more scary things. And then (laughs) Chapter 9 is called I Can Do It, and it's women, you know, rising to a challenge, like maybe they're divorced 
or widowed, mm-hmm. and now they're doing things they never had to do before, and they kind of square their shoulders and stand up straight, mm-hmm. and they just dive in and do this thing and conquer it. And mm-hmm. that's scary sometimes. And so, and I mean, that's scary for men too. You know, like right. a woman might become a widow and she learns how to mow the lawn and the man might become a widower and he learns how to cook the dinner. You know, either right. way, they're doing things they weren't doing before. So that's a tour of the book. It's very, very wide ranging. But that's the whole point of us with our 101 stories is you get a huge variety <laughs> of storytelling. Beautiful. Just beautiful. Do you have a personal BU moment you can share with us? Oh, yeah. So I, because I've worked on Wall Street and I've done so many things that, you know, were unusual for women. I mean, I'm 63. So when I broke into Wall Street, it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's not as bad, but it's still bad. But anyway, I wrote a story called Match Point, which is in the book. And, well, I basically talked in the story about two different experiences with male chauvinism and one where I prevailed and one where I did not. So the one where I prevailed was that I was a member of a tennis and swim club in our town and I was working full-time in New York City, you know, and living in Connecticut Mm -hmm. and I was in a tennis tournament at this club. And so it was one of those elimination tournaments where you keep going until you lose. So each time Mm -hmm. you win a match, you then have to move on to your next opponent, and you have to keep going in a timely manner. Mm -hmm. Well, this club only allowed members who worked full-time to play tennis on weekend mornings, and that was really the only time I could play my matches for the tournament. So my problem was that I worked full-time, so I qualified to play tennis on weekend mornings. Mm -hmm. But... My opponents, who were all women, it was the ladies' tournament, they didn't work full-time, so I couldn't play my matches against them on weekend mornings. We were all moms, so we couldn't play Mm -hmm. weekend afternoons. And I couldn't play during the week unless I took a day off from work, which was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And so it was basically like the men owned the tennis courts on weekend mornings, and they were quite (laughs) happy about that. And the whole board of directors of the club was male, and everybody played tennis. And so I called up one of these board members and I said, I qualify to play on weekend mornings, but my opponents don't. I want to be able to play against a woman who doesn't work full-time. And he said, no, you have to work full-time in order to play weekend mornings. And then I realized that there was this guy who was retired, who everybody loved, and he played tennis every Saturday morning. <laughs> and they let him play, and they had him you know, be the fourth when they needed somebody for doubles. Right. So I called back the board member and I said, such a shame that you're going to have to tell Gene he can't play anymore on weekend mornings because he doesn't work. <laughs> well, that was just a major problem for them because Gene was their buddy and they all knew that he was retired and breaking the rules. And so he was, you know, the board then was in a tough spot. So that's mm-hmm. why I called my story match point because I was about mm-hmm. to win. So... <laughs> In in order to not kick their buddy Gene off the tennis courts, they changed the rules to exactly what I had suggested, which was that Mm -hmm. as long as one of the members who's on the court on a weekend morning works full-time, that member can invite any other member to Mm -hmm. play. And so I, you know, was able to proceed with my matches, um, you know, and I lost a few games later. And Mm -hmm. that was fine with me because the real match that I won was against this board of directors. You know, I was really thrilled that I beat them. I mean, they had had this unfair rule in place for decades. Mm -hmm. And then I have Mm -hmm. the other story, the one where I didn't prevail, and that was that I I was a Wall Street analyst, and I was pretty good at picking stocks and really good at figuring out when a stock was going to go down, and I would get my clients out and save them from big losses. Mm -hmm. And so one time I got a client out and this was a good client and I got them out of a stock that had gone up a lot and they had made millions of dollars in it for their hedge fund. Mm -hmm. And then I said to them, this is about to go down and I got them out and then that stock Mm -hmm. plummeted Mm -hmm. and they sent me flowers. (laughs) And I'm, I I was like, I I don't need flowers. I need money. (laughs) 
Like, this is a job for me. I'm, I don't work for flowers. I work right. for commission dollars, right? And, I mean, no man would have gotten flowers. Like, he would have gotten more money. Right, and, right. And then right. it just kept happening. Like, then maybe, I guess, five years later or so, I had a uh-huh. different job. I wasn't doing that job anymore. I was working for a big, you know, fast-growing technology company, and I was helping that company raise you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. It was an integral part of raising the money. And we went on one of these road trips. We were flying private jets all over mm-hmm. and speaking to investors all over the country. And, I, you know, it was a big part of it. Like, we raised the money. It was very successful. And every single, you know, investment fund that invested in our stock, you know, I was one mm-hmm. of the people they had spoken to. So then when the whole thing was done and we had raised $225 million dollars, I got to the office one day and I heard that the investment bankers had sent us all gifts uh, to thank us for the successful deal. So the CEO, the CEO, mm-hmm. the COO, and the vice chairman and mm-hmm. I were the four people who had pulled off this deal. So mm-hmm. I got to the office and I heard that they all got um, half cases of Dom Perignon champagne. So they each got mm-hmm. six bottles of Dom Perignon. Mm-hmm. Um, which was worth at least six hundred dollars, yeah, at least a hundred dollars a bottle, if not more. This was maybe twenty years ago, you know. So, right. so it wasn't as much as it is today. So I was all excited. I love Dom Perignon champagne. So I walk into my <laughs> office to get my Dom Perignon, and guess what's on my desk? A vase of flowers. Oh. So yeah, it was like God. Nothing has changed. So I, that's what I wrote about my. My 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 big win against the men, mm-hmm. and then my big loss. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a beautiful story, but you're right. It's somehow it's the mindset of these individuals not realizing that it's equal effort. It takes a lot of effort, whether it's a man or woman. You put in that that uh, obviously in this case you're a woman, but you put in whatever it takes the effort to get to the finish line, and you deserve. You know. The same thing. <laughs> wow. They just completely mm-hmm. diminished my contribution. You yeah. know? Yeah. They mm-hmm. acted like my contribution wasn't equal to the guy's contribution, right. and my contribution was at least equal because I was in constant right. touch with all of those investors. So, yeah, but, you know, I can look back on it with good humor and say, well, <laughs> that's just how it is, you know? Right, right. So true. What would you like for the readers to gain from reading Be You? I want them to come away excited about themselves because this book is so empowering. I want mm-hmm. the readers of Chicken Soup for the Soul BU to come away saying, I am special. I am unique. I just want to be more of what I already am. I don't have to mm-hmm. change and be something else. And so it's really a book about affirmation and knowing that you mm-hmm. are enough. And then it's also a book that will motivate you more to be more determined because you see all these women in the pages of this book who set right. out to accomplish whatever their goal is. And their goal could be that they're going to meditate for half an hour a day, or their goal could be that they're going to become the CEO of a company. You know, whatever their goal mm-hmm. is, they set about achieving their goal. So I think it's very motivational because it causes you to say, okay, I can go after my goal, and I already have the tools that I need to do that. They already exist mm-hmm. within me. And so I think that's very positive. So true. So true. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes, and Hop Hopper. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. We're having a conversation about compelling true stories of women who found the best versions of themselves by honoring and embracing what makes them unique. From Chicken Soup, latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, BU, 101 Stories of Affirmation, Determination, and Female Empowerment. Amy, let's talk about some of the stories in the book. I love the various stories that you all have in the book, and it's very difficult to choose the ones that I can kind of resonate with, so to speak. 
And the first chapter, Happy Being Me, the very first story, which is actually a poem, it's a beautiful one, Champagne for One, by Rebecca, I believe the, her last name is Ilf, if I pronounce it correctly. Yeah, Ilf. Yeah, I just met her yesterday on Zoom because we did a Zoom meeting for the contributors who were new to mm-hmm. Chicken Soup for the Soul who were published in this book. And I think she said yesterday that this poem was turning into like a, a whole book, which sounded pretty exciting. But awesome. I love this because it's about a woman going to a restaurant and ordering a glass of champagne from the waiter and him saying, oh, I'll bring you another one you know, when your friend arrives. And she says, no, it's just me. And he says, oh, do you want to go and sit somewhere else so you're not as exposed? And she said, no, I will sit here by myself at this table among other people. And he just is so shocked that she's there by herself, and she's so comfortable being there by herself. And I just thought that was such a great lesson for all of us because often women are very uncomfortable sitting alone somewhere. And Mm -hmm. I started off ahead of her poem. You know, we always have that inspirational quote. So the quote we have at the beginning is, a woman who knows what she brings to the table is not afraid to eat alone. (laughs) <laughs> and so I thought, oh, this is an empowering poem because I don't feel that comfortable sitting alone in a restaurant. So yeah, I thought, yeah. kudos to her. What a great, what a great way to get us all started and ready to read this book about, you know, feeling good about ourselves and feeling empowered. Right, right. And this is where I, sharing earlier just now about like how men can learn from it as well. I remember when all my life. I've always been around friends, right? When you're growing up, you have friends, buddies, and so forth. And then I got married briefly. And so I love going to movies with friends. So then at that time with my wife and so forth. And then when I got divorced, it's like, uh-oh, I'm going to the movie by myself. I feel like really uncomfortable. I went and did it. And today it's really funny because I'd rather go to the movies by myself and I'll go uh, for the matinee because I have the whole theater to myself, <laughs> especially watching superhero movies, so I can really get into the movie, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of women are willing to go to the movies by themselves, mm-hmm. even more than going to a restaurant by themselves, because they're there yeah. in the dark anyway, and so they oh. feel less uncomfortable <laughs> about it. Very, very interesting. Do you have a story that you really like in Chapter 1? Well, I think there's a really cool one by um, Alexandra Slijepovic. Um mm-hmm. And in this one, her boyfriend broke up with her, and he said that she needed to figure out who she was. And so she thought about that for the next few years, and then she realized that he had really done her a big favor when he broke up with her because she had just been – doing whatever he did. She had been putting his needs first in the relationship. And Mm -hmm. she had basically just been adopting his likes and dislikes as her own instead of saying what she wanted to do. And so she wrote this six years after the breakup, and she reported that she had finally figured it out. And she said he, he was right because he never lost sight of himself. And she did yoga and a lot of introspection. And she says now she knows who she is, too. And she said that she had to shed massive layers of this shy, reserved, afraid, and really dependent girl that she was at 21. Mm -hmm. And she's learned to take back the power that she had ceded to men. And it wasn't like the boyfriend had been taking that power on purpose. He was very constructive in saying to her, you have to figure out who you are. You know, so he was rejecting her, giving him the power to make all the decisions So she said it was like she came home because she came home to herself, to her real self. Mm -hmm. And now she's ready to go into a relationship, but this time with the full knowledge of who she is and what she wants and deserves. So I thought that was really nice because she wasn't dissing the -hmm. boyfriend who Mm -hmm. broke up with her. She was really saying that he did her a favor by forcing her to confront this. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful story. Beautiful, beautiful story. It's finding oneself. And and you're right because – even men, we get so, we sort of got diluted into the relationship, for lack of a better term, rather than having our own identity, so to speak. 
So true. Yeah. So, so he, and he wasn't saying to her, you have to change. He was saying mm-hmm. to her, you have to figure out who you are and be that person who you already are. So I, right. I thought that was great. You don't always read breakup stories where the guy who broke up with you is actually given some credit for doing something good. <laughs> That's wonderful. Chapter two, Breaking New Ground. And I love the story, My Flying Tribe by Captain Laura Sabina. So Laura um, starts off her story by telling us that she was at her son's preschool and the kids were talking about what they wanted to be when they grew up. And so the teacher asked Laura's son if he wanted to be a pilot when he grew up because she knew that Laura was a pilot. And he said, no, that's a girl's job. And that really made Laura smile because that showed how far we've come because she had grown up in the 1960s when being a pilot was definitely viewed as you know a man's job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in her household, she was supposed to help her mom in the kitchen and play with dolls. And her brothers were expected to play with erector sets and do the manly mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. But she was always fascinated by airplanes. And she would look up at the airplanes that flew over their house and she would imagine what the pilots were doing up there. And as soon as she got her driver's license at 16, she drove to a local airport and she took an introductory flying lesson and she loved it. And so she started working at the flight school in return for free lessons. And she said something really great happened at that airport. There she was surrounded by people who understood her dream and accepted her dream and didn't Mm -hmm. say that she couldn't become a pilot because she was a girl. They encouraged her. And that encouragement fueled her during all the tough years that she went through confronting, you know, the fact that being a pilot was considered to be a man's profession. And she ended up becoming one of the youngest female pilots to work for a major airline. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you flew on United Airlines in the last few decades, you might have had Captain Laura Savino as your pilot. (laughs) It's a beautiful, beautiful story. It's just showing where you have a passion and you followed it and there's nothing wrong with it because there's no gender attached to passion. Passion is passion. Yeah, but it's sure hard to to pursue your passion if people are lined (laughs) up against you. She's so fortunate that the people Mm -hmm. at that local airport and that local flying school were so enthusiastic, you know, and Mm -hmm. so supportive of her dream because she needed that fuel to, right. to propel her through those tough years as she pursued that goal. So true. Well, do you have a story in Chapter 2 you like? Well, there's another one that involves the travel industry as well. Mm-hmm. And I've been mm-hmm. on a lot of cruise ships, so I could definitely relate <laughs> to this one. It's by Yvette Seacrest McGlasson, and mm-hmm. she was a cruise director Um, And that's a position that's usually held by men on cruise ships because it's an officer Mm -hmm. position, and usually the officers are all men. And she opens her story telling us that she had just learned that another cruise director with the same cruise line, but a guy was making a whole lot more than she was, which is completely unfair. And her cruise ship had even higher passenger ratings than that man's cruise ship, which was a good mm-hmm. indication that she was doing a really good job because your cruise director is one of your you know, primary interfaces with the cruise line. I mean, that's one of the right. people that really affects how you feel about your cruise. And so she went in and she asked her boss for a raise. And he said this about the guy who was making more than her. He said, he's married, starting a family, and has responsibilities, which is not the <laughs> point. That's not supposed to figure into who gets paid what. And right. Yvette was single, but, you know, I bet if she had been married and starting a family, he would have fired her, said, oh, you can't be a cruise director anymore. Right. So then after that happened, the next bad thing that happened was that the wife of the captain of the ship came on one of the cruises, and so they were socializing at dinner, you know, the officers sitting mm-hmm. at a table mm-hmm. in the dining room, and the wife of the captain was talking to Yvette and started lecturing her on how single women shouldn't be allowed to work with married men which is just so medieval, right? Right? That's such an (laughs) awful thing to say. The poor Yvette just felt like she was being attacked from all sides. But then that evening she had to go off and run a question and answer session, you know, in the ship's Mm -hmm. theater with passengers. And one of the passengers happened to ask her that night, why are there not more 
female cruise directors. So Yvette answered the question honestly and told them what it was like to be a female in a male profession. Mm -hmm. And two days later, one of the other senior officers burst into her office and said, what did you do? And Yvette thought, oh, no, oh, no, I must be in big trouble. I guess I shouldn't have been so honest with the passengers. But it turned out that she had gotten rave reviews from the passengers because it was the last day of the cruise and they all had to fill out a questionnaire. So after that, she said, I'm just going to be me. So this is a perfect BU story. I'm going to be a female cruise director. I'm going to tell it like it is. I'm going to do it my way. And within a short time after that, she got a really big raise. So it all worked out. (laughs) It's a beautiful story. Totally beautiful story. One of the things that reminded me is that when I was chief operating officer, well, actually prior to that, as I started running the company for the uh, franchise owner, I, uh, as far as management is concerned, and even the other employees, that it doesn't matter which location you work, because believe it or not, Amy, location's got a lot to do with it. The companies are now looking at, you know, oh, if you work in this part of town, I don't have to pay you as much from a minimum wage standpoint mm-hmm. of view. And then if you work that product right. down, you get more. And that's ridiculous to me. Uh, to me, everyone needs to have the same pay. And so I did that. This is years ago now. And same thing for management. Whether you're male or female, you get paid the same salary. And guess what? Your same bonus structure. So it's up to you to do what you want to do to make sure you optimize everything. And that's how you get the best people in a nutshell. <laughs> mhm. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of inequities in pay and sometimes companies don't even realize that they're not doing the right thing. They think they're being compassionate or paying attention to the details of the individuals' lives, but it's not actually supposed to work that way. So true. In chapter 3, do you have a specific story that you really like? Well, I like this um, story by Trisha Fay. It's mm-hmm. story 24. So I like it because she talks about how there were these 17 words she came across and they changed her life. And I always, I believe a lot in the power of words. I, I know you do too. And so often mm-hmm. I see chicken soup for the soul stories where someone's life was changed by like a certain phrase or, you know, just a certain talk they had where somebody's words really changed everything. So, in Trisha's case, these words have had even more of an effect on her than, believe it or not, the mm-hmm. cardiac arrest that she had on an airplane. She had had a cardiac arrest on an airplane on a business trip, and luckily there had been three doctors on board plus oxygen and a defibrillator, a defibrillator and so she, mm-hmm. you know, her life was saved. Um, and so she became kind of introspective. But nothing really changed until she ran across this post on Facebook from a friend. And this is what the post said. Let go of anything inauthentic and all activities that do not mirror your brightest intentions for yourself. And so she realized looking at her life that there were a lot of things in her life that were not really authentic. So this was back when people were obsessed with that online game called Farmville and you would play it with other mm-hmm. people. And she had five different farms going in five different games and she found that she was scheduling her real life around her pretend Farmville life. And so Farmville was interfering <laughs> with her social activities, with her work. And one day she was looking at those 17 words because she had actually you know, like written them down and put them on a piece of paper and taped them to her PC. And Mm -hmm. she looked outside her own window and saw her own backyard, which was real nature, not fake nature, you know, in the Farmville game. Right. And she thought, well, why am I not just growing things in my own yard? And so she stopped Farmville cold turkey and she just let all her games Mm go. And then she started editing her calendar too because she said, wait, I'm doing all these things in my calendar that are not – part of my authentic life. So Mm -hmm. she said, yes, I would go to a birthday party for a true friend, but no, I would not attend a baby shower on a weekend day for somebody I barely know who's in another department at work, Mm -hmm. you know? And then she went out into that backyard that she had been neglecting 
And she built a garden there. So she made her own farm and her own real life. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that was a great I, I like the fact that that actually was a combination of paying attention to, you know, words that that really changed your perspective, but also the fact that she got off the computer, you know? Right. Because we right. had a lot of stories from people who got off the computer, got off the social media, and that's how they found their way back to their real, authentic life. You know, because mm-hmm. no matter how much you think you're participating in the world, if you're just reading what your friends are posting on social media, that's not really participating participating right. in the world. Right, right. So true. There are a couple of stories that I really like in Chapter 3. We're going to start with the first one that I really like. And, of course, the title of the chapter is Self-Care and Me. And this particular story is really cool. Choosing People Who Choose You Elizabeth, by Elizabeth Yedda. Right. So in this case, um, this is a case where Elizabeth um, was friends with this guy named Joseph for about eight months. And it had started out great because they had a lot of shared interests and they got together every couple of weeks. And then that changed to getting together every week. So they were getting along even better. And then all of a sudden, Joseph stopped responding to her texts in a timely manner. And sometimes it would take him days to respond. And then he started pushing off their planned get-togethers. So then, you know, he basically was ghosting her, but then he texted her out of the blue and he said he wanted to catch up (laughs) and he was excited to see her. And then she thought, wait, the more I think about it, the more I realize that this has always been really one-sided, you know, and she realized she was putting in more effort and she thought, I could write back a cheery text and say, sure, love to see you. And then she thought, but I would just be demeaning myself, mm-hmm. you know, and saying that his behavior was okay. He can't just come back into my life when he feels like it. And so she texted him back instead, and she said, uh, no worries and no thanks for next week. <laughs> I'm choosing people who choose me. And then she deleted his number. She blocked him on her social media and now she says, she says, now I'm choosing people who choose me. And Joseph, quite frankly, had been choosing Joseph right. all along. And I thought that was really great because so many of us, we keep going in a relationship that's not satisfying, where we're making mm-hmm. all the effort. And she finally realized that. And she took care of it and protected herself. And I thought that was a great role model. And I bet we're going to have a lot of people who read that story, recognize mm-hmm. a relationship that they're in, and go ahead and end that relationship. And, I mean, I really believe you got to edit the people who are in your life <laughs> and only have the people in your life who are treating you right, you know, and who are choosing right. to have a good relationship with you, not the people where you're just kind of hanging in there, but it's not really a satisfying relationship. So true, so true. And the next story in this chapter, which I love, after all, we are talking about from my mama's kitchen here. The title of the story is Guilt-Free Mom by Molly England. Love the story. Yeah, so Molly has three little kids. So, of course, all she does is take care of her kids, you know, very busy doing that. (laughs) And she says, you know, even if she's out on a date with her husband, she's still thinking about the kids. She's still thinking about them, and, you know, it's like baggage she carries around with her. And she talks about this one day when her husband was watching the kids, and she knew that he'd do a great job. And so she just managed to tweak her perspective and let go of thinking constantly about the kids Mm -hmm. and not feeling guilty that she was going off to do something by herself. And then she went into New York City, and she wasn't doing anything special. She was just walking around, looking at stores, looking at people, you know, stopping at a juice cafe, just enjoying herself. And she says it really helped her just find herself again, because when you're in the trenches actively raising kids, you know, you're just mom. Your kids don't even know your name. And, <laughs> you know, you you lose yourself over time. And so yeah. – I thought it was a good lesson in self-care. Like once in a while, 
Go off and do something by yourself for a day. Don't feel guilty about it. You need it, and your whole family will be better off if you do that. And there was a quote that I put at the beginning of this story by Mm -hmm. Emily Marudian, and the quote is this. If you want to have enough to give to others, you will need to take care of yourself first. Mm -hmm. A tree that refuses water and sunlight for itself can't bear fruit for others. So very good life lesson. Right. So true. That's very, very true. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes, and Hop Hopper. My guest is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. We're having a conversation about compelling true stories of women who found the best versions of themselves by honoring and embracing what makes them unique. From Chicken Soup's latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, DU, 101 Stories of Affirmation, Determination, and Female Empowerment. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Amy, chapter four, this is that power kind of thing. Uh, I love it in terms of truly true empowerment. Stand up, speak up. And the story is Never Underestimate Yourself by Carol Harris Button. Yeah, so Carol says in her story that you should never underestimate your ability to win a battle to protect yourself against sexual harassment. And she she won her battle before, you know, the Me Too movement and the mm-hmm. increased protections for women that have been put in place. So her story took place in 1988. And so companies weren't as aware of what the rules should be for workplace behavior And she was passed over for a promotion after she refused an invitation from her boss that included him handing her a button, and the button said, your bed needs me. Can you imagine? He handed her a button that said, your bed needs me? And so she had been doing everything possible to avoid this guy because he kept looking at her, you know, in this lustful way, and he would come and, like, touch her cheek. Um, And so... At her company, they did have a procedure at least. She had to confront her boss in front of somebody from the human resources department. And so she did it, despite how difficult it was. And luckily, the HR department believed her, and she got transferred to another department, and she got a promotion, and she got thousands of dollars in back pay for the raise that she would have gotten Mm -hmm. if he hadn't you know, refused to give her the raise because she right. didn't sleep with him. So I thought that was really good. And it's good for people to read also, like, what happened, you know, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. 30 years ago, mm-hmm. to see where we've come from. And for the younger women to see what the older women were up against and how they had right. to battle to get these rights so that the younger women will understand what went into them having these greater protections now. Not that right. these greater protections always work anyway, right? <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> it's a wonderful story. Like I say, it's a true story of empowerment and be you. That's it. That's the end of the, the sentence right there and be tough and uh, stand your ground pretty much. You know, that's a beautiful story. Chapter five, follow your dreams. The story is Worldly Girl by Charlotte Van Hood. So Charlotte wrote about her mom. Maria Maria Rodriguez, Mm -hmm. and so her mom um, was in college, and she wanted to learn how to fly a helicopter, and so she told this military recruiter that she wanted to fly helicopters, and he just said, no, you can't, you're Mm -hmm. a woman, and so she transferred to a different college that was near an airport, and she started taking helicopter lessons. She ended up becoming a helicopter pilot, flying missions for the Navy. Um, She married her flight instructor, and and then she established a fleet of helicopters in the Caribbean on St. Thomas, um, and she did some amazing things. So when there were the hurricanes down in the Caribbean, she walked like miles and I guess it took her like two hours to get through, Mm -hmm. you know, debris and stuff. And she went and was able to free her helicopter from the ruins of the hangar it was in. And she flew all these rescue missions. And some of the first stories 
the first newspaper stories that came out from St. Thomas after the uh, hurricanes were um, stories that included, you know, her video yeah. shot from the helicopter. Um, and so Charlotte wrote about how much she admired her mom and how, you know, Charlotte and her brother became pilots also. But I have a sad update to the story. Um, mm. This story was written, you know, for us more than a year ago. Right. And my husband and I actually flew with Maria four different times when we were down mm -hmm. flying from St. Thomas to the British Virgin Islands. Mm -hmm. But Maria was in a helicopter crash in February. And oh, wow. she and her passengers died in the crash. And we're still just reeling because Maria was an amazing pilot. Mm -hmm. And so there was some kind of terrible mechanical failure. Mm -hmm. it, it was just an unbelievable tragedy. And, you know, the whole island of St. Thomas is still reeling from this. And we're, we're just devastated. So anyway, the story has turned into a story honoring the memory of this vivacious, incredible woman. Yeah. who became this you know really well known helicopter pilot um throughout the whole you know flying world well it's a beautiful story it's that it it is definitely a female empowerment story no doubt about that what do you like for uh, chapter 6 um well chapter 6 is about um paying it chapter 6 is about helping people and mm -hmm. so I really like this story uh, by Colleen Kenny. It's story mm -hmm. 57 because she's talking about, you know, receiving help and then paying it forward. And mm -hmm. in her case, she ended up getting a bachelor's degree in nursing because she was in one of those programs where you have, a, you know, a big sister. Mm -hmm. Her big mm -hmm. sister was a nurse and said to her, if you want to be a nurse, you need to go to college and get your bachelor's mm -hmm. degree in nursing um, and so she really encouraged her, helped her to figure out how to become a nurse. And and Colleen has had this great um, career as a nurse and even became, um, you know, the higher thing, a nurse practitioner, um, which, mm -hmm. you know, requires a master's degree and a, and a nurse practitioner can write scriptions. And, you know, it's it's an even higher level of it's between nurse and doctor in terms of what you're allowed to do. And so um, she now has become a big sister to um, another female. And that girl who she's been a big sister to for 10 years now um, is talking about going into some art and engineering programs. And so Colleen is helping encourage her to pursue her dream and go to the right college to pursue her dream also. So I like the fact that she was helped and now she's paying it forward by helping another person. Right, right. That's a beautiful, definitely a beautiful story. Chapter 7, Sharing My Truth, put a hashtag on me by Carol Andrews. This is a terrific story. Oh, you know, what happened with Carol Andrews was that she was in another one of our books, and she started telling me about this hashtag thing that she did. Um, <laughs> and I said to her, you got to write this up for our BU book. So yeah. Carol was a TV nurse, news personality for a long time, and then she left TV news, and she was trying to figure out what she wanted to do next. And she really wanted to be an author, a speaker, still mm -hmm. do some TV, be an executive coach. So she wrote up hashtags for herself, hashtag author, hashtag speaker, hashtag the different things she wanted to be. And then she also hashtagged the traits that she wanted to have, like hashtag kindness counts, hashtag transparency. Mm -hmm. And so she, she kind of – this was a form of visualizing – who you want to be, what you want to do, how you want to be viewed. And so I just mm -hmm. thought, well, this is a cool piece of advice to pass on to people. Like a lot of women like doing something called a vision board, but doing this <laughs> hashtag thing was another way of creating a vision of who, who you want to be and what you want to become. And mm -hmm. so I was just, I loved that story because I thought, what a nice piece of advice to share with our readers. Definitely. That's a beautiful story. I know you like, this chapter very much and because you believe in stepping outside your comfort zone. So what story do you really like in chapter eight? Oh my gosh. I love this story by <laughs> Rachel Dunstan Miller. It's called um, leaving Harbor. And she talks about 
how her mom died of breast cancer and mm. she decided that she was going to shake up her life because she had always tried to be very safe about everything. Mm-hmm. And so she decided that for one year, she was going to live by the word fierce. And that meant doing all these things that she was afraid of or things she had never mm-hmm. tried before, like going to a dance class, going caving. And in this story, she goes halibut fishing in open water. And she had always been terrified mm-hmm. of being out in a boat in open water, you know, with the like vast horizon. You're not necessarily yeah. seeing land. You know, the, the wind is blowing, <laughs> the boat is tipping. You don't feel totally in control. And so she talks about how she managed to survive that day out on the open water. And she has, she says at the end of her story, I've come to believe that we're not fully alive if we're not at least a little frightened on a regular basis. <laughs> so true. So true. You got to push the limit a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And chapter nine, I can do it. I love this chapter. I can do it because it really talks about taking charge of your life. And the story that I really like in this one is The Prisoner's Wife. It's very, very interesting by Karen Cameron. Yeah, so we usually think a woman is left alone because of divorce or being widowed. But in Karen's case, her husband had made some very big mistakes and was sent to prison for a year. And so she was facing this whole year without him. And, you know, surviving that year, taking care of the kids, So the first few weeks that he was in prison were really awful for her, and then she kind of got a handle on it, and she started to make new friends. She joined a writing group. Her kids found their equilibrium. She even signed a three-book publishing contract that year while she was working full-time as a teacher. And then along the way, her husband changed too because he had certainly hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And so when he came home, he was a new, improved version of himself, And he found a wife with a renewed sense of self, you know, and somebody who could take care of the family with or without him, who could chase Mm -hmm. her own dreams and make them come true. And so she felt that she was much healthier and stronger when he came home to her. And everything was just so much better after that year that forced them both to become better versions of themselves. Yes, it's a beautiful story. It really is. What advice do you have for women who are still intimidated expressing their authentic feeling and self? Well, I think you have to challenge yourself. You know, and if there's some really big thing you have to do, but you're afraid to do that, then go ahead and try something little. You know, you could try something little like going to the next town and, you know, finding a parking space and going someplace that you were afraid to go or, eating a food that you thought you weren't going to like or going to the movies by yourself, you know, like Johnny does. Mm -hmm. But do something (laughs) little to start off, and then you can start building up as you become more confident in yourself and your ability to do these new things or these things that scared you. So I really think you have to step outside your comfort zone. I think you also have to evaluate your strengths and say, wait a minute, I'm being negative about myself, but – Mm-hmm. If I were talking to a friend who was just like me, what would I tell my friend her strengths are? You know, and enumerate those and realize, well, wait, those are my my strengths. And then the other thing is I would say ask yourself, well, who do you admire and why do you admire them? And then say, mm-hmm. well, wait a minute, I have those same traits. And so you just have to sit and think. And I think that's the way that you realize who you really are, what your authentic self is, and how you can embrace that authentic self and be even more that person. Right, right. So true. That's very, very true. What is coming up next for Chicken Soup? We've got a really great roster this spring. So in May, we have a, a humor book coming out called Read, Laugh, Repeat. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we did that because we put out a humor book last April, and it did really well. And we thought, okay, people are really looking for funny stories now. And then in June, we have two books coming out. The first one is called I'm Speaking Now. Uh, Black women share their truth in 101 stories of love, courage, and hope. And this is a really important book. And then we have another book coming out at the end of June about navigating elder care and dementia. And I think that's mm-hmm. so important. So many of us are in the position of having a spouse 
or a parent or some family member who needs elder care and may or may mm-hmm. not have dementia. And there's so many challenges. And so we have stories for people who have been there, done that. So that's what's coming up for us in the next few months. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. As we close this hour, since our show, of course, is about recipes for living life, would you like to share a recipe this morning? Well, yeah, I would say I'm going to give you five ingredients for your Fantastic. recipe for life. <laughs> okay, so one is to make sure to feel gratitude and count your blessings. Another is that ever-present step outside your comfort zone. Another one is to use forgiveness and look past people's behavior to what is motivating it and forgive them for whatever is driving them for that poor behavior. (laughs) Another ingredient, I think, for your life is to get outside in nature. You really need it. Mm -hmm. It will re-energize you. And then my final ingredient for my recipe for life would be to smile. And I know you're wearing a mask, but you can still smile behind the mask (laughs) or smile on Zoom where people can actually see your smile. But it really changes how you interact with the world. You smile and it changes the dynamics of whatever is going on at that moment. So those are my ingredients for life. Beautiful. That's really wonderful. Amy, thank you for the great recipes for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, April 13th. My guest will be Nathan Perez. He is an executive career and job search coach and the co-author of the multi-award-winning book, The 20-Minute Networking Meeting, Learn to Network, Get a Job. Nathan and I will be having a conversation about breaking down the mystery of networking for all kinds of networking scenarios in an easy five-step approach that can be leveraged by any professional for any background into this job search and career development. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to FromMyMama'sKitchenTalkRadio.com. Thank you for listening and have a very blessed week. Amy, as usual, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a very blessed day. Thanks so much, Johnny. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye.